Good morning, Lakeview Church. Oh, you guys are getting good at that. It is so good to be with you and just want to take an opportunity to just welcome everyone here. We're glad that you're here. And whether this is your first time or your thousandth time, we're so glad that you're in the room. And as I do every Sunday, I just want to take a moment and look right into that camera and just say we are so glad if you're joining us online that you're here with us as well. Whether you're watching this live right now in this moment or whether you're watching this later in the week on demand, we're so glad that you've taken time to be with us. And we just want to welcome you. And I know everybody here in the room wants to just express our love to them. So can we do that this morning? I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to really believe that one-twelfth of the year is already over. It seems like 2023 just started and one year, uh, one month is already in the books of this year and we've ticked over into February. It was just a little bit ago, just several weeks ago on January 1st, the very first Sunday of the year that we gathered in this room as a church and I shared with you our theme verse for 2023, which comes from Matthew chapter six, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these other things will be added to you. And on that Sunday, we looked at this verse and we talked about our theme for the year, which is that in everything we would put God first. First in our day by spending time with him every morning. First in our week by prioritizing our corporate worship together as a body uh, called the church. And we would put him first in our finances and first at work and first in our entertainment choices and first in our school classrooms and first in everything and every part of our lives. And, and we're gonna talk about for the next four weeks what it looks like for us to put God first in our relationships in our relationships. You see, because the reality is, is that we go out into this world and we connect with people. We have friends and coworkers and neighbors and families and people that we interact with. We have, we have romantic partners and, and we try to build marriages and relationships that last. And we have, if we're parents, we have kids and we have all of these relationships. And the reality is, is that we have to put God first in those relationships. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what it looks like to put God first and what it looks like to build, develop, and cultivate God-honoring relationships where he is first in the way that we relate to others. Now, before we jump right into the series, I want to just tell you a few things that I think you should know as we're walking into these next four weeks. And the first is, why in the world would we spend four weeks talking about relationships? Well, in case you haven't noticed, we live in a world that right now is trying to enlarge the definitions about things like marriage and family. We live in a culture that's moving the boundaries and the borders of terms that we have long held to be true and, and have kind of served as the foundation for relationships. And we've been shifting all of the lines that have been drawn for so long as it relates to ethics in relationships. And as we look at all of those realities and we look at the foundations of our culture that seem to be shifting and changing and we look at how the world is speaking into relationships almost everywhere you look and in every show you turn on and in every ad that you look at, our culture is trying to disciple you as it relates to relationships. 
It's trying to shift and change what we would hold to be true from the scriptures and give you new definitions and new terms and new perspectives and new ideologies. And we as a church have a choice. We can simply step back and say to the world, you go right on ahead and disciple us so that we can become more like you. Or we can look at what's going on in the world around us and we can go to the scriptures, which ought to be our very first filter for everything that we encounter in the world. And we can simply ask the question, what does God's word teach us? about how to align ourselves with God's plan and God's word and God's way for relationships in this day and in this age in which we live. And so if you ask me, why are we doing this series? It's because I do not want the world to disciple you. I want the word of God to disciple you. And so that's why we're giving attention to this on a Sunday morning from this platform. The second thing I want you to know about this series, and this is really, really important for you to know, is is as it relates to my intention for this series. I've told you why we're doing this series, but what's my heart and my intention in doing it? It's really important for you to know this because it's really easy when we start talking about topics like relationships and sexual ethics and the way we define marriage and family and all of those things in our world today, it's really easy for us to think that the pastor's got an agenda, that there's a person he's against or a group that he's against. And this message series is gonna be an opportunity for him to just unload and let you know who he's against and what he's opposed to. And I just want to let you know, that is not my intention at all. In fact, when I started working on this series almost six months ago now, I started asking the Lord to really check my heart, that he would help me to examine my motives all along the way as I studied these topics, as I looked at what the word of God says, as I prepared these messages, and as I developed this series, I just kept asking the Lord, Lord, help me to communicate your truth, but to always do it in a way that reflects your love, your grace, and your compassion. So this series is not against anyone and it's not opposed to any person or any group of people. I promise you, I promise you. Because the reality is, is that if there's any one I am against, it is never another person. It is always the enemy of our souls who seeks to take us away from the word of God and the will of God and the way of God in our lives. And as I have prepared this series, I keep going back to Ephesians chapter six and I keep reminding myself of what the word of God says. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It is against the rulers of evil in high places. And so if there's anyone I'm against, it is never a person and it's never a group of people. It is the enemy of our souls. That said, I want you to know that in this series, my intention is to communicate what we are for, not what we are against. What do we believe and what do we stand for as a body of believers? And it's really important for you to know that what we believe and how we live, it matters in this world. It's not believe in God and do whatever you want. It is believe in God and align your life with him. And I'm gonna teach you what I think the word of God says about these issues that we are facing in our day. But here's what you need to know. 
what we believe and how we live, while it matters, it is never a prerequisite for you being loved, accepted, and welcomed into this church family. Yeah, that's worth a hand clap. We believe certain things and we intend to live certain ways, but they are never prerequisites for you to come into this body of believers and to be loved and accepted and respected as a human being made in the image of God. And so we're gonna build from that foundation and we're not against a person and we're not against a group of people. We're gonna build this series and walk through this series so that you know what we are for. And at every turn, we just want you to know that even if you don't believe like us or ever decide to live like us, that you are loved, you are accepted, and you are respected as a human being in this place. It is what we are committed to as followers of Jesus Christ. The third thing I want you to know, because there actually is a message that we got to get to today, but the third thing I want you to know, this is directly to parents. Today's message is rated PG. I just want you to know, it's rated PG. I've been very careful because I was thinking about you not having awkward van conversations on the way home, okay? So today's message is PG. Over the next three weeks, there will be some topics that we will cover that might get a rating of PG-13, okay? I just want to let you know that because as parents, you have to make a decision about whether you want your kids or your teenagers to be in these messages. And I want you to know that decision rests solely with you. And that's why I'm just giving you kind of the forewarning. Today's message, we're going to lay the foundations of the series and we're really going to study Genesis 1 and 2 and talk about the theological foundations of the series. But you need to know as parents, you have to make that decision. Now, having said that, I want to talk to you as one parent to another parent. If you are thinking about pulling your kids from hearing this teaching, before you do that, I just want you to think long and hard about it. And here's why. The world is already discipling your kids and your teens. And they actually don't care what you think as a parent. They're not asking your permission and they're not telling you what they're teaching your kids. They're just teaching your kids. And they have an agenda to promote and push your children to believe certain things. And, and the world's going to do that. And we can't stop that. And that's okay. But you need to think as parents, what does it take for me to make sure my kids and my teenagers are being discipled, not just by the world, but by the word of God? And so if, if I were in your shoes as a parent, I would really think long and hard before I just yank my kids out of this teaching and say that that's something they can't hear about because they're already hearing about it. They're already hearing about it. And I just want you to know that, again, I want, after saying that, I just want you to know the decision rests solely with you. Okay, And I want you to make that decision over these next few weeks. Are we okay? Just take a deep breath. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Okay. We're going to dig into this uh, passage this morning, Genesis chapter 1, and some verses from Genesis chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open it up, or if, you've, if it's on your device, you can turn, turn it on and go to Genesis chapter 1. But before we do that, I want to just pray and ask the Lord to speak to us.
God, we come before you right now. And we just acknowledge that you and you alone are God. And there's only one of you, one God, above all other gods. And right now, as we come to your word and to your truth, we humble ourselves. We open our hearts and our minds and our souls to you. And God, we just simply ask that you would make our souls like freshly tilled soil. And that you would take your word in this, in this moment and you would plant it deep in our souls. And God, let it find soil that is ready and receptive for your word and your truth this morning so that your word, when planted inside of us, may grow up and produce fruit for your kingdom 30, 60, even 100 fold for your glory and for your honor. So we give ourselves to you right now and we ask you to speak to us. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So we begin this series in Genesis chapter one because it is really the only place that you can begin a series like this because right at the very beginning, we have to put God first. Before we could ever go out and look at what it takes to build God-honoring relationships, we have to put God in his rightful place and we put God first. Genesis chapter one, verse one begins with this important phrase, in the beginning, God. And this is, this is an important theological statement because what it says to us is that before anything else existed, God was. God is not born, he's not made, he wasn't called into existence or created by some other being. God has always existed and he will always exist and he sits right at the beginning of everything else. When we start the story in Genesis chapter one, we're told that God is there and he's presiding over the nothingness that was there. And it was in that environment that God begins to speak and he begins to create. And it's out of his words, out of his mind, out of his heart that God begins to form the world that we know and everything that is in it. And it is in this world that God creates human beings and makes everything that exists. In the beginning, God, and that's where we start. And we start there because in these first two chapters of the Bible, we get a picture, not just of what God does, but we get a picture of the heart of God behind what he is doing. God is not just creating, but he's creating with purpose and with intention. And this is all before sin enters the world. It's, it's when creation is perfect. It closely matches exactly what God wants it to be when he thought of it in his heart and in his mind. And so we study Genesis 1 and 2 to know what God did and why he did it and what he wants it to be like in its original form. And from there, we can capture a vision of what it looks like to try to rebuild that in our lives with the help of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and the Holy Spirit, our helper, to become the kind of people that God wants us to be as we recover from the impact and the curse of sin. So we go back to Genesis chapter one, and we ask ourselves, what does this passage teach us about God? And what does this passage teach us about human beings? And those are the two questions I want to talk through over the next few minutes that we spend together. 
And we're going to start with the most important question first. What does this passage teach us about God? There are lots of things that we could talk about this morning, but I want to really kind of zero in on four key ideas about the character and the nature of God, which I think are really important pieces as we're building a foundation for our theology of relationships. The first thing that I think we learn about God is that God is a divine community. God is a divine community. And what I mean by that is that God has eternally existed as three persons being one God. And that sounds really confusing because it is. Pastor Jared talked about it last week that, that we are to become Trinitarian in our theology and we are because the church has historically believed as a, as a matter of orthodox Christian doctrine that God is three persons in one God. And this is a mystery and it's confusing and it's hard for us to get our minds around. And I think the reason it's hard for us to get our minds around sometimes is because we start with one and we try to figure out how do we divide one into three. And so we say things like, well, it's, it's one God, but every once in a while he puts on a different mask. And that's okay, except that's heresy and we're not going to go there. So, so don't, don't say that, okay? And and, and sometimes we say things like, well, it's one God, and, but, but just like I'm a father and I'm a son and I'm a brother, one person plays different roles, and, and, and that's heresy too, and so we're not going to say that either. So, so don't, don't use that term. I want you not to start with one and try to figure out how to divide it into three. I want you to start with three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, three distinct persons who live together in a divine community that is perfect. There's no jockeying for position. There's no division. There's no disagreements. It's perfect because it is a community that is filled with self-giving love. They love one another perfectly and fully. They support one another perfectly and fully. And, and there's no division or separation between them, but they are three distinct persons. One is not the other, and yet they all share one nature. Are you confused? We are starting right in the deep end of the pool in this series. It's really important for you to understand this, though, because this is the foundation. This is the nexus. This is the beginning point for why you and I need relationships. Because God himself lives in relationship before he creates anything else. God is a divine community. You say, where do you see this in Genesis chapter 1? I'm so glad you asked. Look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. I just want to point out the plural words there. Let us make man in our image. Let's make him after our likeness so that he will be like us. This is the divine community. Having created the world and all that is in it, now God creates human beings. And he does that in his own image. 
And when he talks about himself, he uses the plural. Why? Because God is a divine community. Second thing we learn about God from Genesis chapter 1 is that God is the creator. This divine community creates the world and all that inhabits it. You, you watch God in Genesis chapter 1. He starts with night and day. He, he, he creates land and sea. He creates earth and sky. He, he creates all of these different animals and plants and fish and birds. And he's creating everything. And he's doing it just with his words. He's, he's got this vision in his mind. He's got this idea in his heart. And he just wants to create this divine community of self-giving love is just, is just overflowing with creativity and he's creating the world in which we live. And it's really, really important for us to understand that God is the creator. This is foundational, right? He exists in divine community, but Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This means that God created everything that is, and because he created it, he owns it. This is really important. This is really, really important, because these, these theological statements about God, they fix a lot of problems in our world. If you just understand them. God created the world. The psalmist picks up on this in Psalm 24, and he says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and everything that is in it, it belongs to him. God, in this divine community, creates the world, and he owns it all. Next thing we learn about God from Genesis chapter 1 the divine community creates the world and he is the sovereign ruler over it. When you create something and you own it, by default, you are in charge of it. And again, this is really important to understand because what we, what we are doing in our world right now is for many people, they've just erased the concept of God and all they're left with now is themselves. And so they start with themselves and they build from there a pattern for living. But in reality, this doesn't work because God is the ruler over everything. And it actually doesn't matter whether you believe he's the ruler or not. He didn't ask for you to vote. He just is. He created it, he owns it, and he is the sovereign ruler over it. I was reading just the other day in Psalm 22, and I came across this verse. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. You can have all the elections you want to have and put all the people in positions you want to put them in. And by the way, we should do all of that because government is ordained by God. So we should, we should do all that and we should pray for our leaders who are in authority, but make no mistake about it. Whoever we put in power, there is always a God above them. He's the king and he doesn't get elected and he never gets voted out and he's never giving up his throne. He created it, he owns it and he rules over it. And then the fourth thing we learn about God is that God is the judge. 
And what I mean by this is not just that one day God will sit on a throne and we'll all stand before him, which by the way, we will. And he will judge us. He will judge our lives, how we lived and whether we knew him and whether we had placed faith in him. And so that's gonna happen. But I'm not just talking about that. I'm actually talking about God as judge at the very beginning of creation. Because God's forming up sun and moon and he says to the sun, you're the light that's gonna govern the day. He tells the sun what to do. Because as the sovereign ruler who created and owns everything, he gets to decide who and what does what when. He's in charge. And so he tells the sun, you govern the day. And he tells the moon, you govern the night. He tells the sea, you can come this far, but no farther. He tells the sky to stay in its place. And the earth doesn't give way under our feet. I mean, do you ever think about the fact that we are on a ball that is spinning right now? How in the world does that work? I don't know. But God said, this is how it's going to work, and that's how it works. And he says to the animals and to the plants and, and to the birds and the fish and the human beings that he creates, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He gives commands. And of all of his creation, he says, there's this one tree that you can't eat from. Because if you eat from that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it will, it will ruin everything. So don't eat from that tree. And some of us will say, but it looks like that tree has good fruit to eat. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because God said, this is forbidden. Don't do this. You can do all of this, but don't do this. And we want to fight against that. And the enemy tempts us to fight against that. But here's the reality. We have to understand God is the judge. And what that means is he's the one who establishes the moral framework. He decides what is good and what is evil. And it's not up for discussion. And it's not up for debate. And there aren't any votes on it. We can pass all the laws we want to pass that tell people they can do whatever they want to do with their lives. And we can be respectful of everyone who believes and lives differently than we do. But at the end of everything, the only law that ultimately matters is the law of God. What does God say is good? And did you line your lives up with that? And what did God say is evil? And did you stay away from that? This is why the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 says, Woe to those who call good evil and evil good. Woe to those who do that. When you take God's law and you subvert it and you mess it up and you decide that the thing that God has said is evil, you wanna make that good and run after that and make that a part of your life because you like it and it makes you happy and it helps you be fulfilled. When you do that, woe to you because you're messing with the way the universe was created. And when you do that, it doesn't work. And we have grown so far from this understanding of God's word that some of you right now are uncomfortable. You're thinking to yourself, does our pastor really believe that? 110% I do. 
110% I do. God is the creator and the owner of everything. He's the sovereign ruler and he's the judge. He gets to determine what's good and what's evil, what's right and what's wrong. That's who he is. And we start with him because it's from his character and his nature and who he is that everything else we're gonna do in this series flows. And, and we begin with this important question, what does Genesis 1 not just teach us about God, but what does it teach us about ourselves? And we've got just such a short amount of time left. And I'm gonna go as fast as I can. What do we learn about us from Genesis chapter one? The first thing that we learn is that we are representatives of God's presence. We are representatives of God's presence in this world. This is the way we are created. We've already read Genesis 1.26 where God speaks intention. And by the way, he creates all of the other stuff and he doesn't give any preambles. He just says, let there be light, and there was light. And let there be land and sea and animals. And he just speaks it, and they, they're there, created. But when it comes time to create human beings, before God creates, he says, wait a minute, let's have a conversation, guys. This last part, let us create human beings in our image and after our likeness, so they'll be just like us. And they have this counsel in the divine community, and then they create human beings. What is God, what is God doing in this moment? Genesis 1 is telling us that when God created human beings, it wasn't just another part of his creativity, though he was incredibly creative when he made us. I mean, just look around. Right? We're all different, and yet we're all similar. Right? We all breathe the same air. Bodies work basically the same way, right? And God, God is incredibly creative. But not just creative, he's intentional. He says, I have a specific purpose for this part of creation that we are not assigning to anything else in creation. We want this part of creation to be just like us. This is powerful. And then on top of that, later in Genesis chapter two, what we find is that God, after he creates human beings, he breathes into them. And this word for breath is the word, same exact word that's used for God's spirit. God breathes his very life into us. Why does God do that? Because in the moment of creation, he's creating this beautiful, divine, imaging person who as they live in this world that God created will reflect the creator. Not just in the physical body, but in the very breath that is in them. His very spirit breathed into us. This is powerful. And this is why when we think about our physical bodies and we think about our spiritual reality, you can't separate them. You can't say, well, I love God with my heart, but I do whatever I want to do with my body. Not in God's world, you don't. 
God put those two things together. They're inseparable. By the way, this is why we believe that at the end of it all, it's not just your spirit that gets raised to go to heaven. You're not going to be some disembodied spirit floating around on the clouds with your harp. You're going to actually be raised bodily. That's what the creeds have proclaimed. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 teaches. Why? Because God didn't create us just to be spirits. He created us to be embodied individuals living with physicality and spirituality united into one being. For what purpose? To represent his presence in this world. So what you do with your body, it matters because if you make choices that align with God's good plans for humanity, you're representing God well. And if you make choices to not align with God's plan, you are not representing him well. And I don't need to tell you what it looks like when humanity neglects the ways of God. We mistreat each other. We hate each other. We, we commit violent acts towards each other. We abuse one another. We manipulate one another. We tear each other to shreds. And all of that matters because we are representatives of God's presence. Secondly, we are stewards of God's creation. God is not done giving humanity intention. He says to them, I want you to, to be made in our likeness and in our image, and I'm gonna give you the breath that is in me. I'm gonna give that to you, and, and, and you're gonna be my representative, but I also want you to know that my intention for you is that you would have a delegated sovereignty over this earth. Remember, God is the ruler but he says to human beings, I want you to have dominion over this earth. Now, this idea of dominion doesn't mean dominate, and it certainly doesn't mean destroy. I think sometimes in the church, we, we kind of negate the whole idea of creation care, when in reality, we should be the loudest voices for it. Because God, the God we serve, is the one who created it. And when we treat it poorly, what are we saying about our belief in God? God didn't say dominate it and he didn't say destroy it. He said take care of it. Join me in my sovereign, gracious, loving rule over the earth and help me care for and manage this world which I have created. This is an amazing thing. God's not just saying, hey, be like me. Image me in this world. He's actually saying, join me. There's this divine community and I want you to be a part of it. In fact, I'll come to the garden and we'll walk together. Do you guys understand how profound that is? That the creator of all that is would say, I want to live in relationship with you. That's what God has asked of us to join him and to store this creation. Well, now here's the thing, and I'm running out of time, I'm trying so hard. We cannot look at other people as things that we get to manipulate, abuse, 
use, tear down, destroy. Because every time you look at another human being, you are not looking at an object for your use. You are looking at another person who is created in the image of God and who has the very presence of God breathed into them. And you have to value and respect every single person because every single person matters and has value. 100% of the time. It doesn't matter what their political party is or what the color of their skin is or what gender identity they claim or, or what their lifestyle is or what their belief systems are or where they live in the world or how educated they are or how much education they don't have or how much money they have or don't have. None of that matters. When you look at another person, you've been invited by God to steward and manage his creation well, which means you have to value human life. You have to value human life because that's our calling. Third, we are co-creators with God. We are co-creators with God. This is another amazing truth about humanity God's not done giving us purpose. He says, be, be my image, represent me in the world, have dominion, store the earth, take care of it, manage it, and then be fruitful and multiply. I know it's PG, but can I get an amen? I mean, come on. Be fruitful and multiply. This is an amazing fact about humanity, that when God created man, and woman, and he created man and woman, male and female. Make no mistake about it. God, when God created human beings in his image, male and female, he created them. And he says to them, image me in this world, take care of my creation, and fill this earth. This is God inviting us to truly be like him. Think about a divine community who has so much self-giving love that he just creates the world and all of its beauty and all of its handiwork and all of its splendor. He creates it all and then he creates human beings in his image, places them in the middle and says, we're gonna give you a special job. You and you alone as male and female. And it's the only way it works. It's the only way it works. Male and female. Together, you can create more representatives of God's presence. God is endowing men and women in the covenant of marriage to make more human beings who represent him in this world. This is a powerful, powerful truth. And I know that there are all kinds of questions in your mind of like, well, what about people who can't have kids? And what about people who, for them, marriage is not part of that? And we're gonna talk about all of that in this series. So just hold all those questions. Don't email me. E email Kayla. We're gonna talk about all that stuff, so just, just hold on to it. But, but again, remember, we're looking at what is God's intention before sin enters the world, before anything is marred or broken or needs fixing. What did God create human beings for? 
to image him, to take care of the world, and to create life. And he says, I want you to be fruitful, and I want you to multiply, I want you to fill the earth, and I want you to subdue it. I want you to, to take this world and fill it up and manage it well and care for it. This is your calling from God. This is what God created us for. We are co-creators with God. Next thing and last thing we learn about human beings from this passage of scripture is that we are relational beings just like God. I love the fact that after God creates Adam, and Adam's beginning his work of caring and managing the world. God looks down at Adam and he says, it's not good for him to be alone. It's not a good thing. It's the first time God recognizes something about his creation that's not good. Everything else is good. Night and day, it was good. Land and sea, it was good. Animals, plants, fish, birds, good. Human beings, very good. But when he sees Adam without a helper suitable for him, he says, that's not good. It is not good for man to be alone. And this is true for every single one of us. It is not good for you to be alone. And I'm not talking about marriage we're going to talk about marriage and we're going to talk about celibacy in this series because God calls people to both. And we're going to talk about that and how both of those, marriage and celibacy, image God well in the world when done appropriately and right. So we're going to talk about that. That's not, not what we're saying. We're not saying it's not good for man to be alone so everybody ought to get married. Some of you aren't called to get married. And we're going to talk about that. And so we're not, we're not talking about that right now. We're just talking about the fact that it is not good for you to be alone. So if you find yourself isolated and pulled away from community and from friends and from people who love you and care about you, then your life, I guarantee you, is not as healthy as it could be. In fact, you might be really sick because it is not good for man to be alone. We are created for relationships. And God God sees that it's not good for Adam to be alone and he puts Adam to sleep. Go to sleep, Adam. And he takes a rib and he makes another person, a woman. And then Adam wakes up. I can only imagine what this was like. I mean, this is like, I should go to sleep more often, right? <laughs> and good things are gonna happen, right? Right? <laughs> He goes to sleep, he wakes up, and God says, here, Adam, here's a companion. And Adam says, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, for God made woman out of man. And we're going to talk about the very next thing that God says in, in one of these upcoming weeks where God then institutes the covenant of marriage. But, but all I want you to see this morning is that God created you for a relationship and you need them. You need them. And so this morning, as we bring this message to a close, I wanna encourage you to think about your relationships. 
because you need them. And if you find yourself in a place this morning where you don't have a relationship, you don't, you don't know how to be connected to people, you don't have good friends, maybe you don't have people who are helping you grow and develop spiritually, maybe you're not part of a small group, maybe, maybe your family ties are so broken that you just feel alone in this world. Maybe the circumstances of your life have pulled you away from community. You just feel alone and isolated. I want to just encourage you to lean in to relationships again. Ask the Lord to help you move towards relationship because it's not good for us to be alone. We were made to be together. And in this series, we're going to talk about what it takes for us to be people who enter into relationship. Not just marriage, though we're going to talk about that, but all kinds of relationships. How do we honor God by pursuing the thing that God created us for? And, and as we pursue relationships, all we're doing is being a better image of him because he is a divine community. And we're called to be a community that loves one another so that we look like him. So this morning, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to stand. We're closing now. You can say amen if you want to. I want you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. And all I'd like you to do this morning, if you're willing, is to just put your hands in front of you with your palms facing up. Like, like you believe God has something he wants to give you and you're ready to receive it from him. And with your hands in front of you, palms open, ready to receive from God, let's pray together. So Lord, here we are, standing in your presence. You are God. Three persons sharing one divine nature. Three persons, one God. Creator of all that exists. Sovereign ruler over the whole world and all that is in it. And you are the righteous judge. You set the standards for our lives and for our world. And we stand this morning in your presence with equal measures of humility and boldness. We ask you to teach us how to have relationships that honor you. We ask that you would move in our lives, that you would empower us with courage and with grace to pursue those kinds of relationships. And we're asking you to fill our lives with all of the joy and fullness that comes from having the relationships that you want us to have in this life, the kind of relationships that honor and glorify you. So we ask you this morning, Lord, let this be so in our lives, we pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, as you go from this place this morning, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You are sent out.